verse 22. Let's pray. Father God, how we give you thanks and praise for the vindication of Christ Jesus and his resurrection. Father, it is this truth that makes the sense of the rest of the Bible. Because of it, we behold your word is truth. We praise you for truth. We praise you for revealing it to us. Father, we are weak. We are darkened in our hearts by sin. So send your spirit to illuminate your word that we may behold it and believe it and live by it to the glory of Christ Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. In the 1983, a young Robert Bois, 19 years old, of Tampa Bay, was arrested, convicted, and sentenced to life in prison for a crime he did not commit. This happens regularly in our society. However, in 2020, Robert was exonerated and he was freed. As an innocent man, he was vindicated because of new DNA technology. You can't help but feel for the guy. The heart strings are tugged by the tragedy of living four decades of life claiming to be innocent with no one else in the world believing you and you hold on to it for hope and then you rejoice not because of what happened to Robert, but because hope was delivered on in the vindication of this man, that what he said about himself was true. And of course, as Christians, we can relate to this because vindication is near and dear to us. Vindication is at the epicenter of the gospel. Christ was raised for his vindication, and he was raised for ours also. And we get a foretaste of vindication from our verse in 1 Kings chapter 17. So if, you're, you're, if you have your Bibles open to 1 Kings 17, I'm just going to read verse 22. It says this, And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Well, vindication is when a person is proven to have spoken words of truth. That's what vindication is. And tonight we're going to see three effects of vindication as it comes to us through the miracle of Resurrection, that's what happens here in verse 22 when the boy is revived. He was dead. He wasn't asleep. Uh, He wasn't in a coma. He was dead. He was lifeless, and the Lord brought him back to life. And the first effect that we're going to look at is that the vindication of God is absolute. It is absolute. 
Could there possibly be a greater miracle in life other than resurrection? Some would say uh, the incarnation of God rivals. It's up there. People make that argument. I, I can appreciate that. But the idea that someone comes back from the dead is perhaps the greatest irrefutable re- evidence that God could possibly provide that something is true. And when he does it, its purpose is vindication, which is to prove that God is true, that the word of God is true, that God is on the right side of right, that he is absolutely true. Resurrection is the ultimate mic drop in time and space history. It is a closed case in the court of God. And yet resurrection from the dead is the very thing that the world would point to in mocking Christianity. And even we as Christians, when we're moving through our Bible reading time and we come to this story of Elijah in the land of Zarephath dealing with a boy who has died and we we see resurrection, even we can approach these kinds of miraculous situations uh, and, and, and treat it as a mere fact. It's just a fact. It happened. And then we move on to the next verse. We, we can really bring it down to Christianese. It's, it becomes Christian lingo. We don't dive deep into it like we should. We pass over it. But Paul says that we must believe in our hearts that Christ was raised from the dead in order to be saved. He said that to the Romans in Romans 10. And that goes way beyond resurrection as a mere fact in our minds. We've got to believe it in our hearts. And when we do believe it in our hearts, then we know for certain that God is absolutely for us and that he will keep us and that all of his promises apply to us. And I think one of the keys to heart knowledge in is staring at us in the text when it comes to resurrection. So look again at the verse. It says, And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. Now when we see the covenant name of God in Scripture, um, I'm, getting a, I'm getting a media guy. Like, Is that better? Okay, all right. So when we see the covenant name of God in Scripture, the Lord in all caps, In our Bibles, we need to do two things. First, we need to understand what it means. And then, secondly, we need to import that meaning into the text that we are reading. So to start with, Lord, in all caps in your English Bible, is the covenant name of God, which is Yahweh. It is Yahweh. It is built from the Hebrew word, I am. And so every time we see Lord, in all caps, In our Bibles, as we're reading along, we should think this is Yahweh, the great I am, the God who is self-existent, the God who has no beginning, he has no end, he is the God who absolutely is. That is why vindication is absolute, because that is who God is. He is Yahweh. The text could be read This way, Yahweh listened to the voice of Elijah. Ultimately, it is the very nature of God that makes resurrection believable because he's absolute reality. There is 
No reality before God. There is no reality outside of God because if there is a reality apart from him, he thought of it, he created it, and he governs over it. And he is absolutely free from any of the natural constraints that governs the universe that he created because he is over and above it. The creator does not live by the rules That's for the creature. That's us. We live by the rules. But the creator is over and above the rules, and that is why resurrection from the dead is no big deal from God. He can make it happen because he is absolute reality. Everything that God depends on is in himself, not in the universe he created. He is outside of it. We live inside the universe. He is outside of it. That's what makes him holy. So when we read our Bibles and we come across LORD in all caps, we should stop and import the meaning of his name into the text that we go beyond mere facts that we might believe with the heart. So do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? Do you believe it? We should be able to answer that question full stop just and the realities of God to be Yahweh, what it means for God to be Yahweh, the God who absolutely is. This is what Paul meant when he said to the Romans that God's invisible attributes have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that we are without excuse. When we look at creation, just based on the evidence that we experience, we should know that Yahweh is absolute. But for the sinful, darkened mind, it doesn't work that way, does it? We don't, we don't see this. We willfully look past it because we suppress the truth. And that's why God raised his son from the grave as the final conclusive evidence for me and for you that resurrection happened. It happened in this little boy. It happened after Jesus was raised on the third day. It'll happen again in the final judgment. So on the one hand, we have the covenant name of Yahweh, which is the foundational reality that makes this story believable. We shouldn't need more evidence than that, but God is gracious to us. He doesn't stop there. So on the other hand, he gives us the resurrection of Christ, which for me And for you and for anyone else that calls themselves a Christian, seals the deal. If Christ isn't raised from the dead, then we are people most to be pitied. And if that's true, then the resurrection of this little boy makes really no difference. True or not. But when you look at this account through the lens of Christ, then and only then does it take its fullest meaning. And so it is in the light of Christ that we find vindication in the fullest, most absolute sense of the word. So do you believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead? This passage takes you to that ultimate question. Otherwise, there is no other real purpose. And this would be nothing more than a story debated for the ages, uh, probably unbelievable for most. If Christ isn't raised from the dead, I, I seriously doubt I'd believe this story. Vindication of God is absolute. 
Point number two, the vindication of God is approving. It's approving. When we pray, we are seeking for God's approval for something, whatever that might be. In Elijah's case, he's asking God to revive the boy in verse 21 because he's seeking vindication for his own prophetic ministry. If you recall, I know we didn't read chapter 17 for context, but Elijah was called to the land of Zarephath. Zarephath is Gentile territory. It is Baal country. That's where God sent Elijah. He's not among his own people. And then he comes to this widow, a Baal worshiper. She's about to die. She's looking for sticks because she wants to start a fire so that she can prepare a meal, the last meal for her and her little boy. And she's without hope. And she tells Elijah, we're going to eat this meal and we're going to die. But Elijah says, no, 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 don't fear. First come make a meal for me. Bring me a cake and then your boy and you and your household will eat. Now, for a Baal worshiper in the land of Zarephath, you have this prophet from Israel telling her to give up her last meal. That takes a a great risk, doesn't it? That's a huge risk. They don't have any food left. Got this prophet saying, bring me your last meal. And she does. She does it. And as a result, her jar of flour and her jug of oil was never spent. And her household ate for many days. So the prophetic ministry of Elijah is confirmed as true. This is good. This is great. We like it. Elijah's living in the land. He's got plenty of food. He's speaking the word of God. Things are coming true. God is proving that Elijah speaks the true word of God. But then the boy suddenly gets ill and he dies. He dies. Where does that leave Elijah? His ministry suddenly takes this huge hit. This huge hit. He's not really sure where to go from here. He has no other place to go other than to cry out to the Lord that the Lord would revive the little boy. So he's crying out for vindication. Now our verse says the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. Yahweh listens here, but it's much more than just hearing. It's God's approval of his request. And how do we know? How do we know? We get a hint in verse 21. The text says, Elijah stretched himself upon the child three times. Well, that's odd. When, when you see this in the text, Elijah stretching himself over the child three times, what you should see is the Lord Jesus Christ stretched out on the cross for you. And when you hear three times, you should be thinking the Lord was raised from the grave in three days. This is what the Lord is doing. He's directing our hearts in mind to the resurrection, to the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection as a hint that he is going to approve 
of Elijah. That's how we know that God, listening to the request, will be in approval before we get to the end of the story. And this also works in reverse. The vindication of Jesus and his resurrection makes full sense of what happened to this little boy. Without it, the story is incomplete and ultimately has no lasting meaning. But because God said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, listen to him, then we know that without a shadow of a doubt, if the text says the Lord listened to Elijah and Elijah is approved by God, then we know certainly the son of God is approved by the father. And if the son of God is approved by the father, then you, Christian, are approved by God. You have the father's approval. You have it. But it's not the same kind of acceptance that the world longs for. Right? The world is literally dying to be accepted, to be approved of. People want to be accepted for who they are in their own image. They want to be accepted for their faults, their strengths, their weaknesses, their sins, their choices, their identity. Right? That's a big one these days. Is accept me for the way that I identify myself. Right? That is huge these days. It's the spirit of the age. Accept me for who I am, but God does not accept like this. There is only one way that the Lord will accept you, and that is by faith in Christ who was raised for your justification, and that is the basis of God's approval. The the world's brand of acceptance is fraudulent. And it's bankrupt. Its very design was to distract you from the very thing that you really and so desperately need, which is approval with the Father because of your sin. The world's version will avail you nothing. How you look, the career you have, the parent you are, the reputation that you have built, the brand that you have created for yourself, none of it amounts to anything before the Lord. And that is why Christ was raised, that we might be acceptable. This is the true acceptance of the Lord, and it is what every sinner desperately needs. Everything else is designed to distract you from that singular truth as you live your life. So my encouragement to you would be to stop trying to get the world's approval. Realize that you're already approved by God through the resurrection of his son who was vindicated for you. So that means when you're plagued by that besetting sin, you've done it again, and you're on the verge of despair, when you want to give up, that's when you come back and you preach the vindication of Christ to yourself that you are approved by God. Ask Yahweh. He will will give it to you. It may not come according to your timetable. It may not come when you want. 
I've already heard about that delay. But God is able to stand you up, and he will do that because you are approved by God. Third and finally, the vindication of God is affirming. It is affirming. The death of this little boy is a tragedy with a purpose. And that purpose is to affirm the word of God, that it is true. Remember, Elijah is in Baal country. And this particular tragedy was designed to bring a showdown between Baal and Yahweh. My God and your God. This is like the undercard fight, right? Just in a few chapters in 2 Kings, Elijah is going to take on all of the prophets of Baal, right? And they all get slaughtered. So this is, this is like the, this is the undercard fight. But it's not really a fight, is it? Baal is impotent. But Baal can't raise anything from the dead because he's not real. He is a figment of man's imagination and a product of an idolatrous heart. So the resurrection of this little boy is Yahweh asserting himself over Baal idolatry and any other form of idolatry. In the end, God wins. The boy is raised and he is affirmed. And we can look in verse 24, if you're still... uh, if your Bible's still open in 1 Kings 17, look at verse 24. See how the widow affirms God in her experience of resurrection. She says, as a result of her boy being raised and brought to him, she says, now I know you are a man of God and that the word of Yahweh in your mouth is truth. So we have two affirming effects of the boy's resurrection. First, Elijah gets his vindication. Now I know you are a man of God, she says. And secondly, she declares the word of God to be true, which is the ultimate effect of resurrection. See, the resurrection of the little boy brings vindication, and that vindication brings affirmation of both Elijah and the word that he spoke. And of course, all of this is by design because it is intended to direct our hearts and minds to the Lord Jesus Christ, as we have said The word of Christ and his office as prophet are both affirmed as true by his resurrection from the dead. And that is what makes this story and the rest of the Bible believable as true. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, all of the things that he said to his disciples become false. None of it makes sense. And we are still condemned and lost in our sins. But because he was raised, the Bible, the word of God, scripture is affirmed. And that means you have to come to terms with it. You have to come to terms with scripture. You don't get to remove the parts of the Bible that you don't like. If you are uncomfortable with the idea of resurrection, I am sorry. I don't know what else to say to you. The Bible doesn't change for you, but you must change and conform to it. doesn't matter how you feel about it. Otherwise, you will be left in your sins and condemned, and rightly so. But Jesus was raised for our justification, that he might secure a a future for us. 
See, God doesn't want you to be left in your sins and condemned. He wishes that no one would perish. Look again at the end of our verse, verse verse 22. It says, And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. The boy is revived. That means he has a life to live. He has a future. He gets to live out the rest of his life, whatever that was. It's not a resurrection to eternal life. He's brought back into this life. He gets to live the rest of his life. The boy has a future. This is the message of God to the world, that though you sinned and though you were rightly condemned for your sin, uniting yourself to the resurrection of Christ by faith means that you have a future that is undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. But you got to believe it with your heart. And that does make this a message for the world. Is it a message for you and you and me? It's it's a message for all of us. I think that's why the first recorded resurrection miracle in the Bible, which is here, happens in Gentile territory. I don't think that that's a mistake. Resurrection is for the Jew first, but also for the Greek. That's That's how Paul puts it. The Jew first but also for the Greek. And God is giving us a foretaste that this message of resurrection isn't just for the Jew, but it's also for the world. And I think we should take that as a cue. We take that cue from the text as fuel for our evangelism. So uh, just to close, I want to just quickly add a spark to that fire. I want to leave you with some of the final words of Christ before his ascension in Luke chapter 24, verses 45 and 47, says this, Then Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks and praise that Christ was vindicated, proven to be true when you, by your power, raised him from the dead and you have seated him at your right hand and he is returning again and he will return in his glory as a righteous judge. So Father, help us to believe in our hearts that Christ was raised from the dead, that we would apply it to our lives, that we would live in light of this monumental truth. Help us to behold Christ in it to the glory of his name. Amen.